Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I want to be the teacher's favorite parent. I want to be the dentist's favorite patient. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Mrs. Smith, it shops for food? Like, what? <laughs> it's like seeing God at this store. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. How am I going to do this? I'm going to have to go talk to this nun that everybody's afraid of and tell her that you're making this child cry a podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. No, no, no one have any questions. We're about to go to the bar. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about how to be a teacher's favorite parent. I want to be a teacher's favorite parent. I mean, one, because, you know, we want to, and two, because this is useful information. We asked our listeners on our Facebook page, especially those of you who are teachers, to tell us what your favorite parents do and don't do in order to make your work easier and more effective. Yeah, and we put this question on our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. And what I liked is we heard from a lot of teachers. They had a lot to say on this topic. There's advice, so we'll get to that. I wanted to start with laying out what I think are the complicating factors. Like, I always want to start with, is this an issue? Is this something we're overthinking? And I think we're not, because if you look at how the teacher-parent relationship was viewed when we were kids versus now, it's completely different. It's 180. Tell these guys what your Aunt Terry was saying about the nuns back oh, in the day. Oh, we were, I put something <laughs> complaining about on Facebook. I put something about, you know, have a great weekend to everyone, except for the person who asks the question at the end of back to school night, because then you're just stuck there for another half an hour. Like, like when they parent. say, do you have any questions? And they're and raising their like, hand no, like Hermione. No, 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 no. No one have any questions. We're about <laughs> to go to the bar. And it's like, okay, no, I want to know. My child, it's like, this is an email. This is not a question for back to school night. And I put it in my Aunt Terry, who appeared on the podcast on the episode about favorite advice our moms had ever given us. She said, back in the old days, we sent our kids to the nuns. They didn't want our opinions about anything. There was no back to school night. There weren't conferences. The nuns took the kids, built them in their own image, and sent them back to us. There was no back and forth about like, do you think Johnny could really learn better in math if he had a special chart? It's, no, the nuns took them and they did what they 
thought was right. My son's high school, I've heard this story a few times, that it used to be you'd show up at the first day and he goes to an all-boys high school, traditional, and that the head of the school would say, welcome, welcome on this first day. Thank you for giving us your sons. We'll see you at graduation. And it wasn't a joke. There was an understanding like, we got this. We know more than you do about us. You know that we do. Stay out of our way. And there's a Jen Hatmaker piece that we've referenced before, and she talks about this. Like, her mom's interaction with the school was she dropped them off on the first day and she picked them up, and that was it. I mean, there just wasn't this whole relationship. And I think, as with all things, it's a double-edged sword. There are positives and negatives to the fact that parents are much more involved. You know, I have a kid who struggles in school, and we work on a lot of plans about how to make school not a nightmare for him. I think back in the day, he would have been a kid who just sat in the corner and was miserable all through school and was considered, you know, not smart and sat in the back and everyone just gave up on him. And through working carefully with his teachers and having a lot of interaction, he's having a much more successful educational experience. Right. No question that's better for the kids. So my my mom is the oldest of eight kids and she used to get sent home sometimes with her teacher telling her, who was a nun, telling her to tell her mother that her younger brother was writing with his left hand again. And he mm. was he was writing with his left hand. The sinister hand. Yes. And he had to sit on it so he wouldn't go to write with it. He, to this day, writes with his right hand and his handwriting is scribble scrabble. But there was, you know, today, can you imagine getting that phone call or email like, oh, your son's writing with his left hand again <laughs> and, <laughs> and you need to punish him at home? I mean, you'd be going in there with a camera crew. So things used to be kind of different. Yeah. So the downside is that sometimes things were going wrong in school. Sometimes kids were being mistreated in school. Sometimes kids were not getting the education they could have been receiving in school. Those were the downsides. But today... But there were some upsides. Yeah, there were some upsides. Which is the teachers did not have to listen to parents about anything. Right. What They didn't have to listen to how every single child is a very special indigo child that needs special, special treatment. Yeah, and my child needs the water bottle on the edge of the desk, and my child actually needs soda because he won't drink water or <laughs> Whatever, whatever right. and from nonsense. The moms, and from the mom's point of view, we didn't feel like yet another arena in which we have to control everything or we're failing at our jobs. That's right. We are perhaps over-involved. I feel like this is another push-pull. Like, don't hover, mom, but do make sure to check the school portal every day. And it's like, well, which which is it? Right. Don't be a helicopter parent, but here are 96,000 ways you're failing if you're not on top of this. <laughs> right. Don't be in too much touch, but you need to be in touch. And it's a line of walk. And so I think we'll, you know, we're going to try to figure that out today. Because for better and for worse, we are expected to be more connected with our kids' teachers than our parents were. And so how do we make that a positive interaction that isn't fraught? Because these are often overworked, underpaid, underappreciated people who are giving 110% every day. Right. And who are dealing with 20 to 30 children who they cannot serve the individual need of each of those kids 24 hours a day or eight hours a day, as the case may be. Another reason that we absolutely have to be more involved with the teachers than our parents were is the homework loads are getting way more intense. And I feel like I often have to reach out to the teacher and say, my kid had a hard time with this assignment. My kid 
spent two hours and didn't finish this assignment? Can we have the long weekend to do this book report plus clay model because she didn't get it done or he didn't get it done? That's just is how it is. And the teachers, to be fair, the teachers are always, sure, no problem. Thank you for telling me. We can always work together. But that is sort of required. Right. And there's just a ton of communication. Like my kid came home with something this week that was something they'd done in class and he'd done a terrible job on it. Like half of it wasn't filled out and he's a little spacey and I can imagine he just spent that time thinking about whether or not Pluto was a planet instead of doing the work. And so it came home kind of half filled out with, it didn't have a frowny face, but you know, it kind of had that vibe of like, uh, we did this in class and this is what it looked like. And I thought, am I supposed to call him now and discuss this? And I just put it aside and I thought, I'll bring this to his conference or if I see three of these we'll bring it up. But it's like there's so much information back and forth. I decided to let it go. I think that's good to kind of save them. You know what really put this into my mind that we had to have an episode about this is back to school night. You had just been telling me about your kids. I had two for my kids. Again, they didn't even exist 20, 25 years ago. My son's high school, in fact, recently installed it because they didn't have one. And the parents were like, why don't you have one? Every other school has one. And so I went to my high school back to school night for my child. And we were given seven minutes in each class that our kids have, which honestly, as a parent, I loved because once you get to high school, you you barely even get in the building, let alone into the classrooms, meeting the teachers. This is sort of your only opportunity. And you go in, but these teachers only had seven minutes with us, which was, of course, five minutes by the time we all straggled in. And so a couple of them were like, well, this really isn't enough time for me to tell you anything, you know, important. So what do you guys want to know from me? But we were sitting there like, is this the fourth floor? What class is this? It was frustratingly for both sides, an incomplete conversation. Most of the teachers just ended up saying, your kids are great. Um, You know, here's a handout. I'm always available. And we met them, you know, one at a time. But I think that really is the point. Like I have an aunt who at some point came out, we moved from an apartment, moved into a house in LA and she came out to visit. We had a nice visit at the end. She's like, I just like to be able to picture where you are. I just like to be able to picture where you are. And I think that is the purpose of back to school night. Like you put a name with the face, you can picture where they are all day. You get the information. If there's a specific issue, you can now say, oh, I met you back to school night. Now let's have a conversation about it. But that really is the only purpose of back to school night. I like to be able to picture where you are. Back to school night is not the time, as you said, to bring up a conversation with the teacher that can really be had at another time that doesn't involve the other parents sitting there like hostages for 10 minutes. You guys, back to school night is a time to look at the face of your kid's teacher, look around the room at any cute artwork they made or projects, and then go home. <laughs> so the teacher can go home, right? These teachers are, um, so a lot I of them are parents. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you got to go because they are giving up an evening with their own families to be there and sort of do a presentation with the timer ticking and try to sort of, I don't know, fit it all in and then deal with 25 individual questions about what kind of learner is my kid. Yeah, you're right. So I'm going to show up and smile and shake hands and then leave after seven no minutes. questions, please. <laughs> my, my first grader's teacher was like, and I'm happy to take questions, but just remember, your child will fail first grade if you ask any. And I was like, I love you. Let me hug you. It's the, the email thing, really. This makes it, again, it's just another way to be in touch with them. And I find I can be in touch with my kids' teachers. Do you ever email your kids' teachers? I am um, not my older 
older kids. This is my younger kids. Like she's coming in late. She needs to leave early. He forgot this assignment. And I told him he needs to ask you about it. But I just wanted to let you know that he did finish it. And you're able to contact them during the day and they get back to me. Oh, it's a great resource. I have a guy who started this year, again, a little scatterbrained, a little disorganized. And we had three nights in a row where he came home without his homework that he was supposed to do. He forgot his folder. It's like the end of the day, they put their homework in their folder, they put it in their backpack and then they leave. And my guy was putting it in his folder, putting his folder in his desk and thinking he would remember to put it in his backpack later. And so I just emailed the teacher and my guy would get hysterical and crying. I don't have my homework. Oh no, I'm going to be in trouble. You have to come with me. You have to explain to him help. And I said, we're going to fix it. I sent an email and I said, this is the problem he's having. And the teacher wrote back to me and said, I'm going to put a checklist on his desk that reminds him to do it. And bada boom, it was fixed. Now he checks his checklist at the end of the day. Like just a thing that like, again, back in the day, this kid would have just been, uh, he's the kid who never has his homework and it would have been constant drama and trauma. I would have tried to work with him, but I wouldn't have known where it was going wrong. So I would have just been saying, you have to remember this. But what I didn't realize is like, once he puts it in his desk, it's lost forever. And so even if he tried to remember it, he wouldn't. And so we just fixed it. That's great. We, I have an example, same thing. I have a kid who forgets stuff and they tend to be boys, if I may generalize. I have two kids who forget stuff, just to be perfectly All right, just clear. To, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you have more than one kid. My kid, this is what open and honest and please and thank you communication with the teachers can get you. I found out that my kid was being consistently late to two classes. So I went to the teacher and said, I'm sorry to hear this. Why do you think my kid's running late? It's because he doesn't have his stuff. Like, oh, okay. And then I reached out to some other teachers. No, he's on time. Guess what we were able to figure out? His locker is on the sixth floor. So the classes that are on the sixth floor, no problem. Classes that are on the fourth floor, he would be late because he had to stop at his locker and get something and then get down to the fourth floor. All we had to do was put a system in place where he takes his stuff for the class on the fourth floor with him to the class that's on the sixth floor. Hallelujah, he's not late to class anymore. He's not having a panic attack. The teachers aren't annoyed. And there was a simple solution that could be put in place that needed to be explained to him because he's a child. He couldn't see, oh, I guess I should get my stuff for two or three classes at a time and have them ready. But again, you're right, without the open and frequent communication that is now possible, I don't think that would have worked out. And we just would have frustrations on all ends. Yes, all true. So these are good examples of like, quick fixes, quick solves, operating systems. This is our oldest argument. Behavior is the thing you can address. So that's what you should use as your guide in communicating with your teacher. Like, hey, we have a little behavior issue. He's forgetting this. He's late for this. This behavior is a problem. Can we come up with a behavioral solution that addresses that behavior? Fine. And you're coming from a place of my kid needs support in this way, not you need to do this. Right. Present the problem, not the solution to the professional. Right, and you're coming from the point of view, basically, of like, my kid's behavior is the flaw in this thing. Uh Not, you need to change your time so that my kid isn't late anymore. You need to stop giving homework because my kid can't remember it. Like, you're addressing your kid's faulty, faulty may be judgmental, but you're addressing your kid's behavior, not, here's what you guys are doing wrong. There's a listener named Katie Pat who is a teacher, and she gave this advice. It's sort of related to this. She says, if your kid comes home with a concern, like, you know, falling apart, like, I get yelled at all the time, whatever it is, talk with the teacher, but don't assume that the kid perception matches what really happened. And other people jumped on and be like, yep, 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 this, this, what she said, that it's okay to go to the teacher, but assume that there might be two sides of the story. If you have an older kid, Deborah says, have your child come speak to the teacher and try to sort things out before 
before you start sending, you know, how dare you howler emails that are based on your child's perspective that is almost certainly incomplete. Yes. And I think Annie's advice on the Facebook is so right. Okay. So we're definitely clear that this is a problem. There's solutions to it. And we're going to talk about it more after this break. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different and fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. So, Margaret, I thought we could talk next about parent-teacher conferences, oh, which conferences. I think are necessary and productive, but there's complications with them, too. And I have a little bit of a story here. Can I tell you something about parent-teacher conferences? Lay it on me. I got an assignment to write an article for the New York Times, and it was the first and only time I've ever written anything for the New York Times, and it was something called Room for Debate, where you take two sides of the issue. And they asked me to write something about parent-teacher conferences, and I, you know, delightedly accepted. And then a couple of days later, they got back to me and said, okay, you're going to take the side that they're a waste of time. And I was like, okay, (laughs) let me think about this. Yeah. So I tried in a very like both sides way to say, sometimes they are a waste of time, like for younger kids, you know, who are finger painting and sharing their crackers. Do you really need to have this conference? Maybe the teachers would be better off not having one. Maybe you're better off not saving difficult conversations for an arbitrary time, one third to one half of the way in the school year. And I started it with an anecdote about a 
preschool that one of my kids went to that no longer even exists, by the way. So I can speak freely about it now and say that teacher at that preschool, which is not the school that any of my children attend now, I hasten to add, did the thing where you come in, you know, my husband took time off work and came to this meeting and we sit down and they're like, so we just thought you might want to tell us about your child. And we're like, we came in, like, what are we here for? Well, what do you want to know about us? We're like, nothing. Like, you know, this is our youngest kid. We got this. This is preschool. And we left going out of there like, well, what do we do that for? They didn't tell us anything. They wanted us to let them know what questions we had about three-year-old preschool, which was zero. So it was an unproductive meeting. Wrote about that for the New York Times, use that as an anecdote of like, that's an example of a conference that really didn't need to happen. So one of my children's early childhood teachers read this, thought that it was a reflection on themselves and a made-up story about them, which it was, and it was a true story about somebody else, was absolutely furious and has never spoken to me since. And I feel really bad about that because that was actually a teacher that I really admired who did not handle conferences that way and who I know actually worked hard. So I feel bad about that. But the point that I was trying to make in that essay and which I still stand behind is that I think that conferences are a necessary evil. And while you should go and you, you hope that the teacher has prepared for it and doesn't say, so what do you want to know? You should also take the opportunity in a conference to create a more open dialogue so that you don't have to wait for that arbitrary points in the year to hear about issues. Absolutely. But I do think it brings us to another point, which is a take, which is a offshoot from what you're saying, not exactly what you did, but watch taking any conflict you have with your children's teacher out to the crowd, especially now, social media, Facebook, you know, it happens all the time that people are like, something bad happened at school. And I think the teacher's being outrageous. And I'm going to express that on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, and yeah. that it's you a mistake. should not do. It's a mistake. Or in the New York Times. Yeah, don't or do it. Or in the New York Times. <laughs> yeah. I would say if you get a chance to write a New York Times, maybe don't do that either. And the thing is, this is true with everybody, and we deal with it talking about the podcast. No one wants to hear themselves discussed in a way that is negative in public. And so you may be saying like, oh, I'm going to tell you this funny anecdote about someone in my family who did something dopey. If you tell that story in public, there's a pretty good chance that that person is not going to find it funny. Like, people don't want to be criticized and keep it off of Facebook and Twitter. Right. Certainly when it comes to teachers. And but there's a tendency to try to say like, there's a bad teacher. My kid had a bad experience. I'm going to rally my troops and get 12 people involved in this so that I have lots of backup that we all think this is wrong. I would avoid that at all costs. You know, can I say something else that should be completely obvious, but make sure it is obvious to your older kids that are on social media? They're not talking about teachers. Yeah. They're not saying in their Instagram story that disappears after a day, no big deal, that, you know, Ms. Wilson is so annoying and everybody hates her. Like, do not engage in that. And as your kids get older, it's fun for them to come home and around the dinner table be like, she's so annoying or he's so, so dumb. It isn't even really, like they do a lot of that. And I let them do it, but I don't participate and I don't agree. And if I do chime in, I'll say something like, well, you know, chemistry is hard and it's not like you can get everything done you want to do in one class period, that kind of thing. I don't tell them they're wrong, but I don't tell them they're right. I would even push back on that and say that at our house growing up, again, like back in the day, teachers were respected and students were students. And again, there are downsides to that. Like they're not all knowing people who know everything, but we would never have been allowed to speak disrespectfully about a teacher in our house. And I maintain 
maintain that in my house too. You can discuss a problem that you are having, but I clearly remember I was in seventh grade. Like I can picture it like it was yesterday. And this was something like me and girly of me. I said, oh, this teacher I have, who was a great teacher who we all kind of loved. He has a really weird thing on his face where it's like he has holes in his face. And my mom turned around at the dinner table and was like, that's called acne scars. And that is not funny. And that is something I would never say about a teacher I respected like this teacher. And I remember like, like I had stepped across a line that was so unacceptable. And that's a bad example because I'm making fun of the way someone looks. But I just think that idea that you are not your teacher's equal, I'm old fashioned that way, I get but I do not allow my kids to speak negatively about their teachers in the house. I have a slightly different, slightly different take on that, which was when I was in eighth grade, I had a sister. I also want to hasten to say I had some truly wonderful nuns as teachers, and I hate the like trope that they're all just awful all the time and hit you with rulers. That wasn't my experience, right. except for this one. You know, when I was in eighth grade, she was really just awful, and she really bullied me, picked on me, and I would come home and I would tell my mother about. It and be sort of overcome about it, but it was a different time. So my mom would let me say it, but she was not armed with any means of approaching this teacher. Finally, I went to another teacher at the school and cried, and you've got to help me, and you've got to help me. And I still remember the look on her face. I mean, it was a long time ago, but this you know, this other teacher, like her eyes wide, like, how am I going to do this? I'm going to have to go talk to this nun that everybody's afraid of and tell her that you're making this child cry. And she helped me. I think things are better now where we can have an open conversation, but disrespect towards a teacher in our homes should never be allowed. I agree. I think that's a good distinction and important. Like, And there are teachers who are oil and water with certain kids. I've had teachers who I loved for one of my kids and they just, you know, like I have an anxious guy and like the teacher who's like, it's points off if you don't put your date on the top of the page is a terrible match for my anxious guy who's disorganized because it's like, uh, but he's actually getting all the answers right. And you're just like, he can't sleep at night because he's so worried about not putting the date and getting points off. Like that's a bad match of a teacher. And what I would try to say to that kid is like, listen, what matters to me is you're getting all the answers right. I know this is difficult, but I don't think it's my job to go and say, I mean, I might say at a conference or I might have an email exchange that says, wow, this date thing is causing an extreme amount of anxiety. Is there something I can do with it? But if she comes back and says, my rule is date goes on the top of the page, then I say to my kid, you're getting all the answers right. This is a difficult situation and a difficult interaction. And as long as you're getting all the answers right, you're fine with me. And this doesn't really matter matter for your overall life. So let's just plow through this year. Yeah. But not, oh, she is so unreasonable. Right. How, that's so what dumb. A ridiculous. She's so, that's so dumb. I think when you start having conversations where you are on the side of your kid in your house saying, that teacher's dumb, that teacher's awful, I think you're off. Can we go back to the conferences? Because Brandy said something that I wanted to underline because I thought it was particularly useful. Don't wait for conferences, Brandy says, or for there to be a problem before you make contact with me. And I've learned this lesson over time, and I will find a time to talk to the teachers and say like, so this might happen and I want you to watch out for it and I want you to tell me if there are things your kid struggles with. I find it very useful to have a conversation with the teacher, not in the hallway at drop-off, at their convenience, and let them know that you know that your kid has trouble writing his name like on the top of the paper. I have a kid who doesn't write their name on the top of the paper still sometimes. My, my guy too, yeah. And if you go to the teacher in the beginning of the year and be like, please don't perceive this as indifference. It's just disorganization. It's a struggle. 
I will support this child in any way you deem appropriate. And again, you bring them the problem, not the solution. You need to not care. Or you bring them the problem and maybe what's worked for you. So I have a kid who is so all over the place and has trouble with like, okay, we're doing math homework. And he's like, oh my God, you know, in this movie where there's this scene and I'm like, no, 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 that's not what we're doing when I were doing it. And it was driving us both crazy. So we started a system where he has a little laminated card and one side is red and one side is green. And so when it's flipped to red, he's not allowed to talk about what he wants to talk about. He has to do his work. When it's flipped to green, he can talk about what he wants to talk about, understanding that like we do one page of homework on red, we flip it to green, then he can have some time to talk. But then, oh, we're flipping it back to red. Okay, now he's got to work. Like it's a simple visual system that helps him. Can I have one of those? The red? I know, right? Like we need them. (laughs) And so- I might say to my kid's teacher, or I might have had a kid who like, okay, every time you don't do some bad behavior that you're doing, let's say getting out of your seat, for every hour you don't do that, you'll get a chip. And if you get five chips at the end of the day, you get a treat. Those kind of behavioral modifications that are really clear sometimes help kids. So if I've come up with one at home that's really working, I'll share that with my teacher. Like, hey, how about this red green card thing? They might then come back to me and say, you know what, we invented this little chip system that helps. I'm very happy to have that back in fourth dialogue, but I don't call them and say, you know, my kid's a visual learner. So you need to change your teaching Mm. style so that everything's visual for my visual learner. That's not fair. You're right. And I think anybody who comes in with like, this is what we try at home. This is what works for us is a parent who's going to be a good partner to you. Exactly. Exactly. And I want to get quickly to Shay's point. I know. I was about to say that too. Good point, Shay. If a teacher is telling you that there is an issue, take them seriously. Why would they tell you that there's an issue? I mean, this is the problem. We all think our kids are angels. I went into a conference with one of my kids who I think is really bright. I was walking into that conference like, let me just cross my legs, lay back, and listen to how great my kid is. And the teacher was kind of like, he's having a lot of trouble paying attention to school. He's kind of class clowny, and it's kind of getting in the way of his learning. And it was like cold water for me. Like, wait, but he's so charming and fun. And I definitely came out of that conference with the reaction of like, she's uptight. And you got to watch that instinct because she wasn't wrong. And you've got to humble yourself a little to the fact that your kid may be struggling with something. And this is something I hear people give a lot of lip service to. Oh, I know my kid's not an angel, but they're the best kid ever. Like, watch that you're not just saying your kid may be struggling in ways in school that you don't see and leave yourself open to what your teacher's criticism or observation is of your kid. I want to read what Shay gave as an example, because I think it's an apt illustration of what you're saying. She said that she had a kindergartner who would throw massive tantrums in class and would throw things at the other students during the tantrums. Okay, imagine being like another kid's mom in this class. I tried to talk to his mom about it, and all she said was, you just got to let him go until he tires himself out. Shay says, okay, I can't just let him go when he is attempting to cause physical harm to other students. I can't imagine being in that situation and having the mother being like, yeah, you just have to let him do it. <laughs> right. But And that's like one of those outlier examples. But challenge yourself to boil that because you're like, well, I don't have a kid who throws stuff. That's crazy. There are areas in your life, not you, Amy, you, the all of us, you, where you're like, oh, but he's so funny. Like, just let him, you know, there are ways in which we all do this thing. We tell ourselves the story of our kid. And if it doesn't match someone else's story, we think they're an idiot. All right, I think we should take a break. And when we come back, I have another thing that should totally go without saying, but apparently needs to be said that we heard from a teacher. 
the eight teachers you will definitely meet from the What Fresh Hell podcast. The high energy teacher. Hi, I'm Mrs. Walsh. Your kid is the best. The school is the best. We are learning so much. We start with our morning dancing, and then I have a unique fist bump that I perform with each student. The Pinterest teacher. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Back to School Night. As you can see, I've transformed my classroom into an exact replica of Hogwarts. Ooh, don't hit your head on the papier-mâché owls. The disorganized teacher. Oh, hi. Uh, are you Jeremy's mom? No, Sylvia's mom? Wait, do you have a kid in my class? What day of the week is it? The stressed teacher. Yeah, hi. I can't really talk now. Can you schedule a meeting? It has been a tough day. Is it June yet? The quiet teacher. Your Peter is such a sweet child. Sorry? Peter is really, he's just such an angel. What's that now? I really like having Peter in my class. Okay, just nod if you're saying something positive. The drill sergeant. One thing I don't like to do with kids is treat them as kids. I treat them like the tiny, hardworking adults I know they can be. There is no I in learn, people. It's elementary school. Let's do this thing. The counting the days to retirement teacher. I'm sorry. I'm trying to find your kid's file, but this new organization system is a nightmare. I try to figure it out, but I'm out of here in two years. Not that I'm counting. It's 293 days. The emotional teacher. Your children are a gift that I have been entrusted to care for this year. And you'll never know how solemnly I hold that duty. I have a little poem I've written called The Fleeting Years of Life that I'd like to read. (sighs) Hold on, I may have trouble getting through this. This has been The Eight Teachers You Will Definitely Meet from the What Fresh Hell podcast. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero-gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, 
is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. All right, Amy, what's your thing? Okay, so I thought when Shay said, said, I thought when Shay said, if a teacher tells you there's something going on, take that seriously, like, hello, that should not need to be said, but it apparently does. Deborah says that you need to answer a teacher's phone calls, texts, and or emails. And I was like, are there honestly people who don't even get back to a teacher who reaches out? Is that a thing? Well, yes, they are. There are people who hold two jobs and they're busy and they've got five kids and it doesn't reach the top of their, oh my God, I have to do this list. Yeah, and I could get a phone call from a teacher and honestly not know for two weeks because I have like a total mental block about using the phone to make phone calls and my voicemail. It's just where right. it's just where things go to die. But an email, you can do that at one in the morning. You can do that. Like I can't imagine not having time to respond to a teacher and say thanks for reaching out. So do that because it's not easy for them. I've had conversations I can think of twice in my life that I've gone into a conference with the teacher and the teacher broaches a topic that is clearly not easy for them. Like. I want to talk to you about something. I've noticed this thing and I want to know what you think about it, not with the same kid. And both of those times, I could tell it was a difficult conversation for the teacher to bring up with me. And both times I was sort of like, ugh, why did this wait for the conference? I think conferences are kind of arbitrary, but I guess I'm glad it happened at all. But what I didn't think was, how dare this person bring it up? Both times, this teacher's observation of your kid, who they see a lot of, maybe more than we see of their waking hours, right, during the school year, they see them in a different environment with their peers. They have insights into our kids that we don't have. And in both cases, this teacher saying, I hate to bring this up, but did you ever consider this? They were correct. It's fair to feel that way. If you walk in and I'm like, Amy, that haircut really doesn't look good on you. It's kind of bonkers. (laughs) Like nobody likes to be criticized. And your child is like an extra sensitive version of the thing you value most about yourself. And so for someone to come to you and say, there is something negative happening here with your child, it's a very tough thing to hear. It's like kick to the soft underbelly, but yeah, well, it was I like understand the, why it happens. I was. It's like that pageant mom. I forget what it's called, but we talked about like why we tend to live through our kids and it's because like our kids are us. Like they're literally, they're just a part of us walking around. And so- They're a part of us, but yeah. like a smaller, more delicate part of right. us. Right, so their achievements, we take as much pleasure in as if they were our own and their struggles. We also get tummy aches like they're our own. And we're all, you know, necessarily blind to some of their faults. Like we see them in the most perfect positive light. In this case, both of these things I was truly blind to because it was one, something that I wouldn't know about because I don't do worksheets with my kid at home as a rule. And the other one, it was something social about 
this child that I also couldn't speculate on because I hadn't seen it. Right. And I'm seeing this behavior and it was like stuff that was going on at school that I didn't see because at home your kid is relaxed and not with 18 peers. It just was a completely different zone. And so, of course, I listened to what they had to say. Let's go to what Annie said about this. She says, my favorite parents never blame the teacher or become hostile, even during difficult conversations. They understand we're a partnership, both wanting to help the child or student succeed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's obvious, right? But I guess we need to say it. It's obvious from both ends to me. I mean, I think when someone brings to you, a, I've been on both sides of this. I mean, I've had people say to me, well, your kid is having this problem. And I've had a bit of the reaction of like, who the heck do you think you are? I understand kids. Haven't you seen me on TV? I'm a parenting expert. <laughs> like I am. I do get my hackles up, but I have worked hard and I think succeeded mostly in humbling myself somewhat. I have a little bit of like, I want to be the teacher's favorite parent. I want to be the dentist's favorite patient. Like when the yep. dentist tells yep. me my teeth look good, I'm so happy. I want when people like I go to the doctor and he's like, oh, you sit so still for this exam. I'm like, ah, a gold star for me. Like I want to be everybody's favorite. I'm like that when I get a mammogram, like I'm going to be the most stoic oh, mammogram recipient. <laughs> what is that? But at the same time, like when some Someone comes to me and says, hey, your kid's struggling with this thing. I do have a bit of a knee-jerk tendency to be like, but what you don't understand is they're really great and, and they don't do that at home. See, they concentrate. You should see them put together Legos. It's like, well, that may not be the same as sitting through social studies class. So I have always said to my husband before we go into parent conferences, IEP meetings, whatever it happens to be, you need to keep me in check. We're there to listen, not to talk. And that is a problem I have. Mm, that's a good takeaway, actually. Yeah, listen, don't talk. And when they tell you that this is an issue, don't immediately go into the word diarrhea of mitigating factors. Just sit with it and maybe listen to what they might be able to suggest as I, a solution. I teach improv in a lot of different locations, and we talk a lot about, about how improv rules are like life rules. And one of the rules in improv is listen as if the person you're talking to is a genius. Because in improv, if you're like, someone brings in an idea like, hey, let's open a zoo. And you're like, uh, no, not a zoo. Let's open it. It's like it ruins the scene. You've yeah. got to yes and them. You've got to say yes. But everything they say is the smartest thing you've ever heard. Everything they say is correct. And I talk to my classes and I'm like, how would that change your life if you could approach life that way? And what a good way to approach a parent-teacher conference. Like, it doesn't mean they are a genius. It doesn't mean that everything they say, but open yourself up to the experience. And sometimes I've had this experience and said, yes, there is a problem we need to address. And sometimes I've had this experience where I have walked away or thought about it and marinated it on it, marinated it, marinated on it and thought, Actually, I think they're just a bad personality mix, but okay, no harm, no foul. Well, that's, this yeah. goes back. That's an opportunity for growth too, for your kid. It is. And this goes back to Rebecca, don't speak badly about your child's teacher, which we talked about. But another point she makes, do not talk negatively about the curriculum and what your child is learning. That was a good point. Those yeah. of us who are dealing with the common core in public school, this is a huge issue. Why is I eight more myself, than six? Right. Why is eight more than six? And so when your kid brings you homework and your reaction is, this is stupid, this isn't how we used to do it, eight plus six is 15, don't worry about breaking it down, you're just undercutting. And she makes the point, teaching math the way I teach it is not how I want to teach it. That's brought down from the state. The teacher 
or may not have a say. I know. I thought that was really interesting. Really interesting point. Mm -hmm. And like the way they break down language, all sorts of stuff. And I do find myself saying to my kid all the time, that's dumb. That's not even a thing. Don't worry about it. It reminds me of my grandma used to live with us and she would tutor us sometimes. She would help me with my science homework. And I'd be like, this is about DNA. And she's like, skip that. We didn't have that. (laughs) It's like, right. Well, we didn't have it. But this is how they're teaching math. They're teaching it that way for a reason. They're going to be teaching it in my kid's school for 12 years. My first grader is working on building blocks. They're going to be reinforcing when they're in 11th grade. And I am not helping anyone by making homework a discussion about how dumb this is. There was another thing that a teacher said about homework that kind of surprised me, similarly to like, maybe I don't like to teach math this way either. Rachel said, to me, good parents take projects, posters, and homework assignments in stride. If your child doesn't understand or can't get it done, it's not the end of the world. Just send a note and remain calm. And I already said that I do do that, but I'm not calm when I do that. I'm like, um, I have to tell you that we weren't quite able to. I'm always very nervous about saying to the teacher that something was just more than my kid could handle, either for conceptual reasons or actual time reasons. And here's Rachel saying, just tell us. It's no big deal. Well, and I tend to get a little bit this way with like the Make Your Island project that represents this. And I tend to get a little bit again and occasionally to my own discredit in front of my children. This is a really dumb project. Like make a pumpkin in the that looks like Richard Nixon. Like this is the (laughs) dumbest thing ever. You can opt out of it. You can say, you know what, we're going to opt out of this project because we're busy or whatever. But saying to your kid, this is the dumbest assignment I've ever seen and I don't want to do it. And like our, I don't know if it's third grade or whatever in our school does do an island project. And like, it helps them figure out topography, terrain. Uh, what do you call it? Ordinal? What is that called? Directions? North, South, East, West? What oh, do they okay. Call that? It's like, yeah, it's probably ordinal. My kid's learning it now. It's called something. Ordinal? Anyway, write on Facebook what that's called, guys, that I'm talking about. It helps them figure out some things. It's a visual reminder. It's the one big project they do of the year. And I tend to be a little bit like, oh, yeah, yeah, here comes the island project or the science fair and things that like, it's a pain for me. I don't like to spend the time doing it. I don't like to have the sand in the house that they're gluing to the board. (laughs) I hate it all, but I'm in the wrong for poo-pooing it in front of. I can either go to the teacher and say, you know what, for us, we're going to opt out of this project and try to have a conversation with the teacher about it. But to say it's dumb is not the right way. And doesn't get it done. I have some easy ways for you to make things a little better once you've already told the kids that the project was dumb. I got some good ways to make things better. You ready? Sharon says... Sharon says, share with your child's teacher the sweet things he or she says at home. I just heard from a parent her son was concerned with the weather and hoped that I would get home safely. That means a lot. That's very sweet. And I will say that my sister-in-law is a teacher and now runs a school. And I reached out to her basically when my kids started elementary school. And I said, you know, I think that teacher gifts, you know, they get a lot of mugs. They get a lot of, you know, edible flyer arrangements kind of stuff. And I said, well, what a good gift for a teacher. And she said, the thing that I always like the most is if someone wants to send a gift card or something usable, great. But I like a handwritten note that says what your kid appreciated about my class. That's what Ellen says. She said, a simple note of thank you or support goes a long way. It doesn't have to come with a gift. It simply needs to come from the heart. And I mean, listen, throw a Starbucks gift card in there too. Don't sure. be a cheapskate, but put a note that just says like, this was why this was a special year. This is what my kid took away from it. And you P.S. Know. Once your kids are older, when my eighth grader went to high school, I had 
him send thank you notes to the teachers who had helped him the most. And I could tell by the way they reacted that that was maybe not so common. That's and a lovely thing to it do. It was the least, I mean, in their case, because he had to apply to high schools, they had written letters of recommendation for him. Like they had spent nights and weekends helping this kid get out into the world. It was the least he could do. And like I said, they were so grateful. I, you know, I felt a little bad that I hadn't always done that. And it's the same thing of like, you're just teaching your kids. Kids cannot have the perspective when they are in elementary school or middle school or probably even high school. The teaching is a difficult, underpaid job. And you don't want to have that conversation with them. It's not their business how much their teachers make. No, no. And I think, yeah, especially kids, like they they view their teachers as not quite human, right? As sort of demigods. And that's good. That's how it should be. My husband always tells that story of like when you run into a teacher at the store and you're like, (gasps) Mrs. Smith? It shops for food? Like, what? <laughs> it's like seeing God at the store. Like, yeah. what would Mrs. Smith need food for? Like, yeah. she just appears magically in the classroom. But that opportunity to take time and be respectful to your teachers. Elizabeth, like did you see what Elizabeth said about what she does with her teacher? She said, believe she's a parent, not a teacher. She says, I believe in being generous to teachers. My favorite thing to do is the 12 days before winter break. We count down with a little present based on the Christmas song. The kids get a kick out of surprising their teacher for those 12 days. Elizabeth, I can't do Elizabeth, that. Elizabeth, you're bonkers. I love you. <laughs> Thanks for listening, but you're completely bonkers. But I but I wish I was Elizabeth's kid's teacher because that yeah, sounds really that would fun. Be great. That would be great. The teachers- and I will say like my... Um, my my son had a little, like a, in the wintertime, he had a little neck warmer. Like it's like a scarf, but it's just a little circle. So it just keeps your neck warm. Like it's like, you, it's like a hat, but you pull it over. It just keeps your neck warm. And my son came home and his second grade teacher had said, well, my teacher said how much she loves my neck warmer. I think we should get her one. Aww. And I was like, oh, okay. And he got money out of his piggy bank for like $6. And I went on Amazon and he bought her a neck warmer. And I was like, that's very nice. That's very thoughtful. I'm sure she was just making conversation. And I don't know if she ever wears her neck warmer. But it was just a nice gesture that I was happy to encourage. I'm sure she did remember and really appreciated that. It's the thought that counts, if I can make completely cliche. That's really sweet. Please, please. Okay, guys, we definitely solved this one. You're going to wake up tomorrow being the best parent. Can I give you guys one more from Lauren? One more. I thought this was a great one to end on. She says, I've been a K-2 teacher for 10 years. The biggest thing that parents can do is listen to teachers and understand that most teachers have your child's best interests at heart, are passionate about what they do, and are on your team. Those are the parents that I have always appreciated the most. Lauren, you're awesome. She solved it. Lauren, you solved it. Lauren, you solved it. Forget (laughs) us. You solved it. And if you want to talk to teachers other parents about what it's like and how to be a better parent to your kid's teacher, come join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. We are also on Instagram at whatfreshhellcast and we're on Twitter at WFH podcast. And Amy, we didn't really cite a lot of articles, No, but she'll put a cute picture of an apple or something. <laughs> I'll so put some of this advice. It. This advice is very good. So I'm going to put it up on our show page. It's great. Whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Come visit us there anyway. There's lots of fun things. Tickets for our live show on December 1st in the New York area. And with that, guys, go be a good parent to that teacher in your life. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? 
gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.